invite you to open up in your Bibles to Malachi, just before Matthew, chapter 3, in reading verses 13 through 18. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's easy to get off track in our thinking to behold the apparent success and elevated position of wicked people in this world and to wonder in our hearts, what's the use of serving God in the first place? If a trial we face or a financial struggle or a relational grief is all we get for serving the Lord, with this mindset, we can be led slowly, bit by bit, to think along the lines of verse 14, it is useless to serve God. And then it can happen, it doesn't always, but it can happen that our heartfelt worship of God and devoted fellowship with other believers can take the back seat in our weekly schedule. If we doubt the payoff of serving God, we can become less motivated to worship the Lord reverently and sincerely with God's people and less devoted to taking time for fellowship of the saints for the relationships we're called to have with other believers. Our scripture passage this morning has as its fulcrum in the center verse numbered 16, these beautiful words focusing on fellowship in the Lord, fellowship with believers in the Lord. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord 
and who meditate on his name. Leading up to that verse is all unbelieving skepticism. Flowing out of that verse come the blessings of believers who fear the Lord. And in that verse itself, fellowship through sanctified conversation between believers is portrayed as a spiritual reality to which the Lord listens, to which he attentively hears and which he remembers, elevating our entire experience of fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ to the standing of being remembered and treasured by the sovereign Lord of the universe. Our first point this morning will rest in this question, verses 13 to 15, why bother serving God? Where's the blessing? And where does that question come from in this particular context of Malachi 3? Our second point is taken from verse 16, relational blessings of fellowship as we fear the Lord. And our third point lays out blessings for now and at the last day. Verses 17 to 18, treasured and spared by the Lord of hosts. So first, a harsh question. Why bother serving God? Where's the blessing? Note how the Lord characterizes the words of his critics in verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? They go into denial mode. There's no, this is no mere clarification question. What have we spoken about you? They know what he's talking about. These members of the covenant community could not possibly forget having said it's useless to serve God. And then the Lord recounts in full the statements of these people of God in the external covenant community, at least, who consider themselves as those who serve the Lord with no payoff. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. There in verse 15 is where the idea of blessing comes in, and it's associated with the proud and the wicked, because certainly we haven't been blessed. Now, I hasten to say, and you must hear this, that not all questioning about the success of the wicked comes from an unbelieving heart. It comes from that kind of heart here. But in other parts of the Old Testament, we hear the believing psalmist, Psalm 73, 3, say, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In Psalm 94, 3, How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? In Jeremiah 12, 1, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? And then Job himself, 21.7, Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? So even for true believers... Like the scriptures writers just quoted, an attitude of discouragement can hit us. We can come to the conclusion sometimes that it's useless to serve God, and that can infect our walk with the Lord, sapping our energy, 
leading to disillusionment with God and discontent with his people. We become those who are the accusers of the saints, whom Dietrich Bonhoeffer warns us not to become the accusers of the saints. We say, why bother? We may not stop believing entirely, but we may stop investing and using the means of grace, public worship, prayer, Bible reading, fellowship. And this just leads us further and further away from God. But it's important to notice that these words in verses 13 through 15 are right next to verse 16, where twice over we hear those who feared the Lord. At the beginning, then those who feared the Lord. And then toward the end, for those who fear the Lord. It's as if to say that in those previous verses, they weren't fearing the Lord. It may be best to consider these questions in verses 13 to 15 as reflecting a truly harsh, unbelieving attitude of heart. People who are part of the outward covenant community, but without faith. People who count themselves as serving God because of their works righteousness. Uh, we have kept his ordinance, you see there in verse 14. Those who do are doing everything that, that they suppose that they should do as mourners but not those who trust in the Messiah. For everyone ever saved was trusting in Christ, promised or having become incarnate in the flesh. There's a coldness here. Verse 13, that word harsh is the Hebrew word kazach, meaning obstinate, hardened, as the ESV puts it. It sounds more like the unbelieving, hardened church lady of Saturday Night Live, who Dana Carvey portrayed with a smug, superior attitude of fake religiosity. It sounds like her rather than a true believer to me. It sounds like an unbelieving, pharisaical man in the temple who begins his prayer with, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Luke 18, 11. In fact, Kyle and Delitzsche, conservative German commentators of the 19th century, identified these very verses as the precursors, centuries before, of the entire pharisaical attitude that Jesus faced in his earthly ministry. These are not the plaintive cries of believing Job, but the harsh words of one who is jealous of those he, cons he considers to be wicked, the proud ones who are blessed, when in fact the very speakers are no more righteous than those that they wag their finger at. Their keeping of his ordinance is according to the quality of Isaiah 64, 6. Your righteousnesses are like filthy rags. In other words, your individual acts of obedience are thrown up to God in supposed satisfaction of his call for righteousness, which can only come through faith in the Messiah. And he says he's been walking as a mourner before the Lord of hosts. Well, that one is like Isaiah 58, 5. Is it a fast I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? 
Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and acceptable to the Lord? Here is the posturing of public mourning, which seeks to gain favor through religiosity. And the contrast is so important here. If you look at verse 16, those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. Fear of the Lord here is a synonym for faith. We have faith in the one in whose presence we stand in awe. We are taken away. Our breath is taken away by a holy God. And then we are amazed by his love that he sent a Messiah for us to die for us. When we are in awe of this righteous, holy God, transcendent, the absolute other than us, and yet imminent, in the incarnation of the Son of God, imminent in the gift of the Holy Spirit in our heart, that is the God that I believe in. That's the one I come to. And he is the one that saves us today. So secondly, blessings of fellowship as we fear the Lord, verse 16. That transition word, then. Kyle and Dalich pointed out, then indicates that the conversation of those who feared God had been occasioned by the words of the ungodly. The ungodly speaking in 13 and 14 and 15. And they spoke with one another. When we have conversation, fellowship, with one another as believers. Heartfelt sharing in the horizontal direction in light of our shared fear of the Lord. We sound different. We can share our hurts. We can share our heartaches. We can share our disappointments, even our disappointments with God. He can take it, but it comes from a believing posture that we're not accusing him. We're not hard against him. We're saying, what is going on, God? Trust that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And also it's what we say about Jesus. We trust in Jesus. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Are you willing to say about your situation this month, our nation in this year, in the pandemic, will you say with me, He has done all things well? Will you believe the gospel? Will you say that this one who has made the deaf to hear has opened your ears that you may hear the gospel and be saved, that you may believe the bad news about sin and the good news about a savior? Will you believe that Christ, who has given the mute to speak, gives you a song to sing unto the savior rather than a mouthful of cursing and bitterness, Romans 3.14. God saves us. He regenerates us. He calls us. He brings us to faith. And David writes in 51.15, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth shall show forth your praise. 
our lips are open to praise God vertically. But note here, in verse 16, they are opened horizontally to speak to one another. Fellowship is spirit-filled conversation and friendship and mutual discipleship to follow, to help us follow Christ. As we communicate among believers throughout the week in the context of weekly spirit-filled worship of God on the Lord's day. Throughout the book of Philippians, Apostle Paul is so encouraging. He's establishing his fellowship with these believers. And it's in the context of their common worship of God. He claims in Philippians 3 that it's not the Judaizers, it's not these hypocrites like those in 13 to 15 who are the true circumcision. It's rather they, for it is we who are the circumcision. Our hearts have been cut that we would have a new heart toward God. It is we who worship by the Spirit of God. It is we who glory in Christ Jesus. And that common worship is then the basis of the fellowship, where throughout the letter of Philippians, he says, welcome men like Epaphroditus in the Lord. And Honor men like him, for he almost died for the work of Christ. He says in 1, 3, and 4, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. 1, 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Fellowship is filled with love. The love of God poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5, overflows in expression of love to fellow believers. This love is the bedrock of our fellowship with our fellows, our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this fellowship is also included in worship itself. If you turn with me, please, to Colossians 3 and 16, two professors of our daughters who studied at Grove City College pointed this out to me. And it really helped me see the purpose of singing. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When we sing during worship, we are speaking the word of God to one another. We are testifying to his goodness and his greatness. Next time you open the Trinity hymnal to sing a hymn, remember you're really talking to God and you're talking to your brothers and sisters around you. In the hymn, Holy, 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 with which we open the service, we speak of the Lord's mercy might and trinitarian glory in three persons that's why we're here our focus is to be upon god when we speak to one another about our sin in that hymn it precludes us beholding the lord on our own though the darkness hide, although the darkness hide thee though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see we speak of god his holiness there is none beside thee and we are trained to rejoice in a God of power and purity who is also a God of love. 
who saves us to bring us into the presence of God. For he is perfect in power, in love, and in purity. And when we sing a modern hymn like the one we did today, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. We say that to one another. We encourage one another that this is true. I am defending the honor of God. Not that he needs me to defend it, but I'm doing it because he has always done that for me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but Christ, but through Christ in me. Speaking the truth of Galatians 2.20. Or singing a Psalm 133, how beautiful the sight of brethren who agree in friendship to unite and bonds of charity. We speak of biblical priorities for our life together. But this fellowship is not limited to our time of worship, but includes our time of visiting, encouragement, listening with sympathy before and after service. As I encourage you to speak to someone who you may not have spoken to ever before or after our service. Speak with some of the visitors. Speak with someone in our church family you just haven't taken time with. Don't rush out of here. We're isolated enough with COVID. Put your mask on. Talk to each other. We can do it. It doesn't have to shut us down, does it? Can you say amen? amen? Okay, so let us have some fellowship before and after our services. Encourage one another. And then through the week, let's take advantage of the next two months. Everybody says it's so cold up here. It ain't cold today. Let's take two months, October and November, and devote ourselves to entertaining on our decks, on our front lawns, outside after the evening service. Let's do it. Let's have fellowship as a church family. It isn't programmed. Pastor Ned and the elders, do not program your life to death. You are believers, and you should have some fellowship during the week, or pick up the phone. And call a sister in Christ. Two women talking on the phone about Jesus. Take a brother out to breakfast. You could go to Ambrosia. You can sit outside at Panera. I'm not going to be your nanny as far as COVID is concerned. I am saying don't give up. We need each other. And I declare to you that as we work here Saturday, we're going to be passing each other. We're going to be talking. We're going to be chit-chatting. We're going to have fellowship. One of my dear fellowship times is at Adirondack Pastor Fellowship with the Baptist brethren, independent brethren up there. And a good Presbyterian group I'm part of down at Hope Church in Boston Spa. I'm asking you to have fellowship as I seek to have fellowship with you and with fellow pastors. Our fellowship means storytelling, testimonies, how God has proved himself over and over. And as we look at the end of verse 16 here in Malachi, see what he says, for those who meditate on his name. You see, those who fear the Lord are going to meditate on the name of the Lord, for that name is an encapsulation of revelation. 
And look at verse 17. There's a name. The Lord of hosts. He's the powerful one. He's the one with all the resources, the heavenly armies at his command. Thus, we can always trust him to have sufficient and superabundant power always to intervene according to the decrees of his sovereign will. The Lord will never be frustrated. Here is the God to whom Elisha can point when speaking to his servant in 2 Kings 6. Elisha's servant seeing the troops of the Syrians gathered around against Israel, says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Unquote. The hosts of heaven were deployed in defense of God's people. God has resources for you, which you cannot see and which you cannot hear. You need to believe upon the Lord of hosts. You need to meditate that and encourage one another when a friend, when a sister, when a brother feels like there's nothing they can do. The Lord of hosts is what you need to remind them of. And then in chapter 1, I always said when I started the book, we're going to come back to this verse all over Malachi. Malachi 1 verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now her Lord is the simple Yahweh standing alone. It is the covenant name of God. It is associated with his unalienable, unalterable commitment to his people who brought you out. He brought his people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. To meditate on the name of Yahweh is to believe that even Jesus, in chapter 8 of John, declared himself to be this very Lord. Before Abraham was, I am. That's Yahweh. And as Murray McShane put it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Learn much of the Lord Jesus. That's the Yahweh Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace and all four sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye, eye settled on you in love, and repose in his almighty arms. When you have this confidence in Christ, when you're meditating on the name of the Lord, then you can be sure that the Lord listens and hears and remembers, the listening is there in the second line of verse 16. It is an attending to us. It's like the father who bends over to listen to his babbling grandchild. We've had some Marco Polos coming in our smartphones recently, and we hear the Google and the gaggle of a year-and-a-half granddaughter in Pittsburgh and a three-month, and I'm just trying to make out, are they saying anything that I can understand? I, it's like the father, he, he, he's leaning over to listen to us. And then he really hears us. He hears every word. The cat's in the cradle. 
My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know, I'm going to be like him. See, we don't have a father like that who doesn't have time for us. He is attentive to us. He is ready to hear our every word, and he hears the content of our speaking. He nods soberly as he hears us challenge one another to read God's word. He delights in expressions of grace and forgiveness that we make to one another, forgiving one another. He hears us encourage each other when we're let down by the world or even when we're let down by Christians sometimes. He hears us lift up examples of faithfulness. As Paul says, join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. In other words, we are meant to feed off in a positive feedback loop with those who live according to the pattern given in the New Testament. The Lord is listening, he is hearing, and he is remembering. It's, it's, he's writing it down in a book akin to that model in Esther 6.1 when King Xerxes brought out a book of the Chronicles and he said, read to me. I want to be good to somebody. I want to be good to somebody. Who is it that was deserving of reward but has not been rewarded? And they read and they said, this Mordecai exposed Bethana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who conspired to king, kill King Xerxes. And what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked? Nothing has been done. God is looking to do good to you. Okay? That's what a book of remembrance is. He is eager to bless his people. And so Xerxes gave Mordecai a, a robe, put him on a horse, and had a parade of honor for him, which Haman had suggested, but which Haman did not get. Yes, you are blessed. And you have a father who listens, hears, and remembers. His omniscience is never the question here. This book of remembrance is a human con a condescension to our humanity that, that we would understand there is a special place in God's heart for true believers who have fellowship one to the other. And the third and final point, verses 17 through 18 Blessings now and at the last day. We read in verse 17, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. They shall be mine. We belong to God. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way, What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. 
That's not scripture, but it's based on scripture. It's the truth of the gospel. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to another who is big enough to take care of you. He died for you. And he protects you from the devil. And everything combines for your salvation. And you are brought into a community of fellowship with the Trinity through this Jesus. Jesus writes in John 16, he states in John 16, 27, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. He brings us into communion with the Father. And in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all things, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Indeed, we are brought into a family relationship with the eternal God. Hear these words from John 17, 21. He's speaking about his church, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Here is our introduction into the fellowship of the Trinity. We are always human, always created, but we are given great privileges to have fellowship with God. And that is the basis of our fellowship with one another. It's this vertical fellowship and communion with God that establishes the communion of the saints. And that is the basis that we have to have courage to reach out to hurting people because we know God has put us together in this congregation for a reason. And God has put us into his one holy Catholic apostolic church for a reason. And then he is establishing on that day, I make them my jewels. As he says in Zechariah 9.16, you will be the radiant jewel, a trophy in the crown. On that day, the Lord, their God, will save them on that day. That day is the day of judgment. We know it as the day of the second coming of Christ. And as the flock of his people, you are jewels in that crown. And all the things you're going through now, a lot of the things that we complain about, a lot of the things we grumble about and have pain in, is the polishing of you, the buffing of you through your sanctification for your placement in that crown. It's all worth it. For all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Yes, these are the jewels. It's the same jewel which God speaks of in Exodus 19.5 when he says, you shall be a special treasure. You are the jewels. And he will go on pilgrimage with them through the wilderness. Yes, this is an imagery that you are treasured with God's people from all ages. And you are spared. Look at that word. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Do you know the only son not spared is the eternal begotten son of God. He was not spared. He was the son of the father. It says in, Ma in Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Oh, dear brothers, dear sisters, 
He was not spared so that you could be spared. He was lifted up that you would be able to join him in heaven. You are spared because he was not. And as we conclude the chapter, we begin to discern between the righteous and the wicked. Who really are the wicked? It's anyone who doesn't trust in Christ. We all have sin, but trusting in Christ, we have the righteousness of his life here on earth, imputed to us. We are able to discern again that the righteous have an eternal reward in the new heaven and the new earth. The wicked shall be cast into hell. Yes, we discern between the righteous and the wicked. Be one between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Today, commit yourself to the fellowship of the saints. During worship, before and after, during the week, speak to one another as you meditate on the name of the Lord. Avoid harsh accusation of God. Come to him with your honest questions. Trust in this God in whose presence we stand in holy awe and fear. Not the craven fear of those who will run from God at the last, on the day of judgment, but the holy fear of one who is amazed that the Lord of hosts remembered me by sending his son to die for me and for us, and who remembers us now in his book of remembrance. Let us pray. Lord, bless this flock. Bring people to faith send your spirit that they may believe the gospel and that they may embrace the fellowship of the saints that they may embrace the savior jesus christ the son who was not spared we pray this in jesus name